1: From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerd Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you're totally off the hook if you didn't actually read the book. This month's selection is Michelle Zahner's Crying in H-Mart. It's a memoir about food and grief. It came out earlier this year, and it's based on an article she wrote for The New Yorker in 2018. Uh, I feel a little weird doing a spoiler alert for a memoir, but this is your spoiler alert. If you haven't read the book and you don't want to know what happens, go listen to some Japanese Breakfast. I say that because Michelle, of course, is the front woman for the band Japanese Breakfast. We can listen to some of that maybe later on. Um, but that's not what *Crying in H Mart* is about. It's about her relationship with her Korean mother, Chongmi, and the food that they shared. Chongmi died of cancer when Michelle was 25, and it's a heartfelt and sometimes devastating read. With me this month to discuss the book are two excellent book nerd podcasters. They are Kari Herrera and Alexis Onoria, who hosts the podcast Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Kari, Alexis, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes,
2: thank you for having us.
1: So, Kari, you read this book before either of us. Um, I'm curious what stood out to you about it.
3: Did I? Did I read it? <laughs> you I was did. asking you, you Greta, did I recommend it you so. did. Well, I
1: mean, I so like we had plans to work together for a couple of months now. And I I mean, I will t- like I threw out a number of titles. I was sort of like, this is the stuff that's on my radar. And then, Kari, I think like two days later, you were like, OK, Greta, I read that one. We have to do it. True. Pretty much. That's so, how I remember.
3: It. <laughs> um, this book made me feel so seen. And I think a very mm. selfish part of my subconscious was like, everyone should see me, too. Oh, interesting. And so I was like, Greta and Alexis, y'all should read this. Not thinking about the grief and how that affects people differently. So, um, so, so many people are suffering with cancer right now. But having a parent... Um, succumb to the disease I felt so seen by this book and the way she keeps her humor I don't even know if she knows how funny she is even in the saddest parts that really uh, stuck with me because I think it's so important to still keep that part of yourself still keep the what 10 percent or whatever her mom um, taught her so that Mm. that stuck with me the way it was very real about grief very relatable Uh, but still when I was reading it I wasn't just so overcome by emotion that I couldn't shake it I felt um, almost like encouraged, like somewhat misery loves company. And I felt like Michelle and I were suffering together and we were going to be OK. So
1: that's really beautiful. I'm sorry to hear about your own experience, though. That sounds really hard. Well, so many
3: people. Um, thank you. But yeah, so many people know what that's like.
1: So we also heard from a lot of listeners for this one. I think a lot of whom also felt seen, honestly. Um, let's start with a voicemail from Katie.
4: Hello, Nerdette. This is Katie. I am calling to talk
3: about *Crying in H Mart*. I am currently training for a very long run. I am planning to run a 50-mile race, and so I'm putting in a lot
5: of miles on my own. And I love to listen to audiobooks while I do that. *Crying in
6: H Mart* was one of the first books I listened to on my long runs. I thought it was a great book. You know, Michelle did a great job, and it really made me think about my loved ones and
4: our relationship with food.
1: I love the idea of especially thinking about relationship with food. I think that's one that really stuck out to our listeners, too. Let's hear another voicemail from Nicole, and then we'll, we'll answer her question afterwards.
4: Hi,
7: Nerdette. This is Nicole calling from Massachusetts. So I read Crying in H Mart cover to cover in one day. It was It is easily one of the best books I've read this year. Um, I've been recommending it to everybody. In fact, I just gave it to my best friend for her birthday, and she texted me and told me she read it in five hours today. So something that occurred to me while I was reading it is that I don't have any specific food memories that recall childhood or specific childhood moments. Um, But my children have these kinds of memories, and it wasn't done intentionally or anything like that, but... When my daughter got her own apartment she called us up and she was looking for the recipe for her dad's honey lemon chicken and she wanted to know exactly how I cooked the barbecue for the kielbasa that I would make on days when we were running around all evening. So it just really struck me the things that we remember and the associations that they have. Like Michelle Zauner points out you know she says it so eloquently about how you know, a smell or a food or like the the kimchi and how she ended up filling up her kitchen with it once after she, when she was making it on her own. And it kept bringing her back to dinners with her parents or dinners with her mother's family in Korea. That Really, this was just such a moving book, and I absolutely can't recommend it enough. I'm definitely looking forward to the discussion. I can't wait to hear what other people have to say about it.
1: First of all, I just want to commend Katie for training to run for 50 miles. That sounds like kind of my personal hell, but Katie... Nothing but respect. (laughs) She's amazing. (laughs) Good for you, (laughs) Katie. I just love the question about food memories, though. I thought it would be really fun to chat about that a little because I don't know. I mean, it was interesting hearing Nicole talk about her daughter moving out because when I moved away, my mom sent me with a huge binder full of it was mostly like photocopied recipes that she had put in little like plastic sleeves and like organized by topic or by category. And like I still have and actually the binder like fell apart last year and I ended up having to buy a new binder to put it all in and I don't know I was curious like how how important was food for y'all like when you think about your own memories Alexis what do you think about your childhood
2: oh I don't know
1: (laughs) you got nothing when I
2: think about my childhood um all I remember is the food that I hated (laughs)
1: <laughs> I feel like this just has to be a therapy session inherently because of the nature of this book.
2: You know? Yeah, yeah. I think about the food, all the food that I hated to which I love now.
1: Oh, good. So you did grow. It grew on
2: you. Yeah, it grew on me. But That's fun. Like what? Um, beans. I hated beans because we always had beans, beans, <laughs> and more beans, and I hated that. <laughs> but I made beans, and I called my mom a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, Mom, I would like to make some some beans. Um, is this how you do it? Can I use this meat to make them? And she was like, yeah, oh, that's great. And she got excited about making. So I do have food memories, though. So I've turned them around.
8: That's
1: really sweet. That reminds me when I was five, my mom had her thirtieth birthday party, and like I remember it because I was five. And she had a garlic themed birthday party and I was so upset because I was like, You could do like it's your birthday. You could do anything and you just want to eat garlic? <laughs> like, what the hell? Roasted garlic? Or or garlic. <laughs> It just, was, like, all forms of garlic. They made great, these called garlic treats, were which were essentially, like, quesadillas with a bunch it. of garlic inside. <laughs> that also I was just, like, deeply offended by as a five-year-old child. <laughs>
2: you were so impacted at five by your mother's decision to celebrate her birthday with garlic. At I know, five? I
1: know. I'm a monster. I'm a monster.
2: <laughs>
3: Opinionated. <laughs> A bit, maybe, five. <laughs> Why do you care? You should have oh been asking for cookies or
2: something.
3: <laughs> I know, right? I know. All oh you do gosh. for children and look. Hurry, what about you? Do you have food memory? This reminded me of when we read uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. Oh, yes. I love that. That book taught me so much. And apparently we can taste food before our taste palates have developed. So food Mm. involves every aspect of our body. And there are some foods I eat and I feel it like all over my, like I can never get um, yams like my mom makes them. I can never cook them in the same way or fried chicken. That's like, if you can make great fried chicken, I think you could also be a rocket scientist. It's the same field, same stuff, different uh, medium. So whenever I have really great fried chicken, I'm like, oh, this is like, just like my mom. So her mom makes mm -hmm. good fried chicken. So yeah, she does anything meat related. Don't give her a vegetable. She won't know what to do with it. (laughs) But I'm just kidding.
1: (laughs) Let's listen to another voicemail. I thought this one was really sweet. Here is Liz.
5: Hey, this is Liz from Roseville, Minnesota, calling about crying in H Mart, answering your question about whether or when the first time we cried reading this book was. And actually, I prepared myself to cry a lot because of so many similarities between the story of my mom's death and her cancer and the author's, but what gave me permission to not cry, and I was so grateful for it because then I could really absorb her story was it near the beginning, she said something about every death anniversary. She prepared herself to willfully feel something that never quite feels like the thing she's supposed to be feeling. And I just thought that that part was so profound because I feel like we're always supposed to take someone else's thought of how we should be feeling about the things that affect us. She gave me permission to just listen to her story and not have to think about mine at the same time, which was incredible. Also, I really want to make soy eggs now, um, but I'm curious if anybody has made any of the food recipes in Crying in H Mart, because for me, that food person connection was incredible and I loved listening to those pieces and thinking about the food that she was talking about. Very excited to hear this discussion.
1: So Alexis, we didn't get a chance to ask what kind of your initial impressions of the book were. Can you relate to a little of what Liz is talking about here?
2: Uh yeah, I guess I can. I, I wasn't prepared to read a book like this. I um it was hard. I had a, a I had a grandmother die of cancer a couple years back and it it sent me into a depression and that depression went on before I got treatment probably a year and a half. Mm, I'm sorry. So um like I started and stopped and started and stopped not until I got to like chapter 4 was I able to like keep going through and it's it's because I had to make a commitment
9: okay <laughs> the
2: deadline is looming you got to read this book so yeah sorry <laughs> that's that was my thing i but it was it was a struggle it was a struggle
1: are you are you are you mad at Kari for saying we had to read this book? I'm just gonna put it all on Kari. Thank you. Someone asked it. I was like, <laughs> should I ask it or is that like,
3: yeah? So answer the question. A lot. Uh,
2: yes, I am mad.
3: <laughs> Add it to the list. Oh.
2: But I know she doesn't um, value my feelings, so it doesn't oh. matter. But uh, yeah, I, just you know, kind of like gosh, why do I got to read this book? Just Mm -hmm. why? So I can feel myself tearing up now just thinking about Mm -hmm. it. So it's just, it was a struggle. It was a struggle, so.
3: And we talked about this a little bit. I think you helped me appreciate, Alexis, how everyone feels grief differently. So for me, this book, I, I was like, oh, someone... Knows what it's like and they and it, it felt almost um, some parts felt it felt good to hear her story. Well, validating, at least it sounds like. Right? Yeah. I mean, seen. yeah, But then to share that with someone that's also grieving and we have a lot of friends and family that have passed or are suffering with mm-hmm. cancer right now. It's really um, more people than I remember in my childhood having suffering from cancer or suffering with cancer in my life or have some come to it. And, um, yeah, I understand that not everyone is going to grieve in the same way. Yeah, so thank you for that, Alexis, too, that reminder that <laughs> just because you enjoyed the sadness in this book doesn't mean you should push it on other people. <laughs> mm,
1: totally. Let's listen to another voicemail, because I think Susie says something kind of along these lines, too. Here's Su- who a lot of people might know. This is Susie On, who's uh, one of my coworkers at WBEZ, who also read Crying in H Mart.
9: Hey, y'all, it's me, Susie. Um, I love Crying in H-Mart. You know, this was a book that I avoided at first because I've been trying to avoid sad stuff during this whole pandemic. Um, But I'm so glad I changed my mind. Instead of feeling bogged down with sadness, Crying in H-Mart, to me, just felt healing. I'm a Korean-American woman, and there's so many things in the memoir that I related to on so many levels, like... You know how Korean moms are often not mommy moms, or or the connection to food, and not feeling like you totally belong. But really, I think anyone who reads this book can connect to it, uh, with just how Michelle Zonner writes, and the way she writes about her upbringing in, in Eugene as you know one of a few Korean American kids, and and wanting to be a musician, but not seeing a lot of hard rocking Asian women on the scene. I mean, that floored me. It's like she took that straight out of my high school brain, yeah. <laughs> you know, all the way down to discovering that Karen O oh of the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs was part Korean. I mean, I remember that specific moment for myself when I was younger. Um, and also the connection with food and culture and, and wanting to do right by those who came before you. Like, I felt that so deeply. And Michelle talks about this book as sort of like, you know, a warning uh, to others. And I heed that warning. You know, it's made me have a greater appreciation and understanding of my own parents. You know, even though Michelle's mother may not have wanted her to be a musician, I know she would be so proud and delighted that her daughter found such success in this book, and her music, and and she's doing promotional stuff with H Mart and um, the Korean cook Mangchi, and all of that just warms my heart, and it and it tells me this book isn't just emotional baggage. It's about a daughter who continues to uphold the life of her lovely mother.
1: Oh, man, I'm going to start crying. That got me. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Lovely. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, one thing we asked um, our listeners to talk about, and a couple did, is like, at what point did you lose it reading this book? Like, at what point did you just cry a lot? There are a lot of really intense and beautiful moments um, Kari, when did you first start crying? Do you remember? No, I never cried reading this book. You never cried? Wow, because like you were just having such heart. a great time. In a <laughs> way, yeah.
3: <laughs> you know? <laughs> and there we go. dark. I there don't know. Up. I was there with her when she was irritated with Kay. I was there with her when she was like, mm. man, mom, we're, we're friends now. And yeah. I'm going to lose you when I love you the most. That's so... yeah. You know, I'm fair. Your mom, her mom is like, you know, I just never met anyone like you. Oh, I've felt- That line. <laughs> ooh. But that, I'm getting into the yeah. book. But yeah, I did. I didn't cry reading this. I, um, mm.
1: I smiled a lot. Mm. What about you, Alexis? I think the moment that got me was, um, like on her deathbed when she's yelling pain. Pain, it was come like, on. this is, this is too much for mm-hmm. me.
2: A tear flow, but like lost it. That never happened. Mm but the part that stands out to me the most, she said, when she was yelling out like her aunt yelled out, and it was Ama oh, ama. ama when she Come did on. that, I was like,
3: mm. yes. "That's too much! That's mm. that's too
2: she much!" Saved that her tears is, for that her right there said. is too much because I felt yeah. every mm. emotion in that. I just did. I felt every emotion in it, and I feel it now. But it's. That yeah. was it for me when she said yeah. that.
1: So we got a voicemail about this too. Let's take a listen. Here's Rachel.
6: Hi, Nerdette. It's Rachel calling about crying in H Mart for this month's Nerdette book club pick. Um, so to start off with, you wanted to know when the first time was that I cried. Um, and that is like the first paragraph. <laughs> and it just went downhill from there with all of the the, the tears. Um, but like sometimes, you know, sometimes sad tears, you know, full of sorrow and sometimes beautiful tears. I mean, it was just a really, really, it was a, it was a book with a lot of things. Um, also that moment where, um, her mom, she, she's describing her mom turning to her and saying, I've just never met someone like you before that like that got me. I just there were a lot of things. I really enjoyed this book. Thank you for sharing it. It's probably a book I never would have found. Anyway, great pick. Can't wait for next month.
1: That line, I've just never met anyone or someone like you before. (laughs) That's stuck with everyone. Yeah, like that. I think that and the idea of saving 10% of yourself are like the two things that like are now etched in my DNA and I will not forget because it was just, I don't know. I like, and I've, I guess for the most part, I've had a pretty close relationship with my mom, but just to picture, you know, like that family member or even a friend or whatever, like someone who like you can find so inherently frustrating, but who you also know that you will love, Mm -hmm. you know, as much as absolutely possible, but that still can drive you nuts. That idea of just like, I just haven't met anyone like you before (laughs) is such a beautiful sentiment.
3: It's such a selfish idea to think because you love someone, you have to know everything about them. Mm-hmm. But I feel that all the time. I couldn't imagine not knowing everything about my mom, but I don't. Right.
1: <laughs> you know? Right. Which I think speaks to another really beautiful moment in the book about um, it was the the note that Michelle gets from the from the art teacher, from her mother's art teacher. Influenced. Yeah. Teapot. Yeah. After her mother dies. um, And she sees all of these, all the different drawings and paintings that her mother did as she was taking art classes. And it was, I think it's a great illustration of just, it was like something that she didn't really know her mom did and had no idea how talented she was. And yeah, I think it, I think it just really speaks to that idea of like, everyone is more, I think, especially our moms, right? Like we just sort of assume that they like exist to take care of us because Uh they did kind of. (laughs) And so then to to really like fully understand that there's so much more complexity than that. I think that they are whole people. Yes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) sure.
2: Mm -hmm. She saw how her mom had. progressed in her drawing too and she was like oh there's my mom's creativity yeah.
3: she was like why don't you leave and the she house didn't get a job, share with have a me. career mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well and I think too I mean you kind of referenced to this Kari but the idea that like she and her mom had like only just kind of found their peace when she got sick yeah. I think was also just such a heartbreaking mm-hmm. aspect of this story mm-hmm. uh, let's listen mm-hmm. to another voicemail here is Sam
10: Hi, Nerdette, This is Sam from Brooklyn. Um, reading Krang and H-Mart was really difficult. Um, I lost my dad when I was 10. He also died of cancer, just like Michelle Zauner's mom. And there was so much in this book that was stuff that I saw as a 10-year-old and didn't understand. And... 20 years later, it was just this burst of clarity. Um, I had to put the book in time out a lot, but I'm so glad I read it. Um, I understand so much about how what my mom must have been going through as my dad's caregiver, what was entailed in his hospice care. It's something I think I've really avoided thinking about and looking at for a long time. Um, But what I appreciated most about the book was The accuracy of how Michelle Zauner described what it's like to be a young person dealing with grief that your friends don't understand. I don't know if I could ever understand exactly what she went through and I don't know if she could understand exactly what I went through as a little kid, but there was so much that was the same and it made the book so powerful.
3: I could listen to these all day. are they beautiful? <laughs> I love these voices. Yeah, films. they but really yeah, are. But yeah, I mean,
1: I don't know. Sam, first, I just want to really say are. thank you so much for sharing. I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, but yeah, I don't know that idea that, like, you can never really understand someone else's grief and, you know, that, like, grief takes different shapes for everyone. I just think is such mm-hmm. a beautiful takeaway from this book, you know. Mm-hmm.
3: I was going to say I was uh, reading an interview with Michelle and she was saying how – um grief is so unique in that it never ends Um, and that's true it could be a year after Mm -hmm. someone has fallen asleep in death or 50 years later and it can still feel so raw to you Um, but Mm -hmm. writing it in this moment so soon after someone passes helps you to kind of capsulize everything that went on um, during those final days. So you you never forget what it was like in that moment. And I think that can be actually helpful uh, to the grieving process, just remembering everything you did for them, um, how much you cared for them and how much they cared about you.
1: Yeah, I think I don't know, that makes me think of another really powerful theme in this book, which is the the idea that Michelle's musical success ended up being so tied to her grief and how complicated that is in terms of Of missing her mother and and wanting her mother to be able to celebrate her successes with her. But the fact that that was really born out of the loss of her mother, Mm -hmm. too, is just so intense. Um, Well, if you want to just listen to voicemails all day, we can do that (laughs) because we got a bunch more. Here's Catherine. This one is really interesting.
4: Hi, this is Catherine. One thing I loved about Crying in H-Mart was how Michelle really dove into the complexities of growing up half white and half Korean. I'm Korean American, and I've read my share of books and essays about the experience of growing up first or second generation. But Michelle's was one of the few books I've read that explores being half. And it was so interesting to see how her attitude changed through the years, from the way she wanted to erase her Asianness when she was a kid, to her surprise realization that in Korea, people thought she was pretty. And then, of course, um, the way Michelle really hungered to reclaim her Korean side after her mom died. I love that Michelle explored this topic so honestly and so explicitly. I found it very eye-opening. It reminds me
1: of a quote from the book, Am I even Korean anymore if there's no Mm. one left to call and ask which brand of seaweed we used to buy?
2: That was the first thing I thought about. Yeah, everything you are,
1: um, Mm. as far
3: as that side, is tied into your mom. And then she passes and, and you start to question your own identity. That was so real, so relatable.
2: I also thought about how she punished herself. Mentally, for not picking up Korean when she had the opportunity, sitting in the class, and how kind of cruel she was about not learning it, or dismissive about it, mm-hmm. and how um she looked back with regret about how she acted. But that is um children this
3: children yeah that's so unfair to do to yourself because kids want to blend in yep. usually right, they don't want right. to stand out as different mm-hmm. and then you grow up and you start loving the parts of yourself that are that don't fit in right but you can't yeah you can't hold that your everything your teenage self does or your um you know preteen self does you can't hold that against
1: yourself this really is just therapy i love it y'all who's Mm. charging who in this situation (laughs) that's when i read this
3: i was like everyone grieving needs to read this Mm -hmm. no sorry (laughs) (laughs)
1: let's listen to another voicemail here is
4: juliana Hi, Greta. This is Juliana Sohn. And my big takeaway from crying in H Mart uh, was the strong bonds amongst her female family members, which I think is reflective of many Korean families of only daughters. Her grandmother was a single mom who raised three daughters by herself because the grandfather had abandoned the family. There's a scene in the book when Michelle remembers having family dinners with her grandfather at a restaurant during her summer trips to Seoul. She describes how she saw her grandmother slip an envelope of money to her grandfather so her grandmother wouldn't see. Um, That scene so achingly encapsulates their family dynamic of still loyally supporting the father who's hurt the family and uh, the complicated feelings the grandmother must have been uh, going through having to sit through these dinners with a man who not only abandoned her but her daughters too. You know, I wondered if her grandfather had left her grandmother because she'd only bore him daughters. Did he have sons with his new wife? I think this is kind of thing other fellow Asians would pick up on that maybe non-Asians may not. My maternal grandmother in Seoul bore my grandfather five daughters, and while he never left my grandmother, he ended up taking a second wife because he wanted a son so badly. My mother is the second daughter in her family, and she had three daughters of her own. I'm the middle daughter, and I witnessed... First hand, how openly taxi drivers and shop clerks in Seoul shamed her for not bearing any sons. Um, Michelle, you know, largely finds comfort and support from Korean women in crying in H Mart. I love that Mong Chi steps in as a Korean mom food surrogate after her mom passes. Uh, while the men, you know, her grandfather and then her own father, uh, they fail to provide her with support.
1: Juliana, thank you so much for those insights. I thought that was just like such a fascinating layer that like I did not pick up on the potential for that. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. Um, I want to note Juliana and Catherine, the woman who left a voicemail right before that, actually host a podcast together. It's called K-Pod. It's made by KoreanAmericanStory.org. And it's a great podcast. And they actually got to interview Michelle. It's a beautiful conversation just because, you know, they were able to pick up on so much nuance that, you know, people who aren't Korean or Korean American might not have. And we actually I pulled a clip from their interview with Michelle because I just thought it was a really beautiful sentiment. This is they essentially asked her, like, how difficult was it to write this extremely sad book? And here's what
8: Michelle had to say. When I was writing the book it definitely was very hard. It was a lot of like hunched over crying uh at a laptop and having to take a lot of breaks and a lot of agony. <laughs> yeah, certainly. But I also felt like there was this real sense of urgency that I had to like warn people that this happens. That was like mm-hmm. a really clear thing when I was going through this of just like no one warned me that this that these things happened. And I was very like upset at the world that it had not prepared me for the experience that I have of just how tough and involved and real caretaking can, can be Mm. and watching someone's health deteriorate like that and watching cancer and chemo, like just how ugly it really gets. Mm.
1: I just thought that was really striking and gorgeous. Mm
3: -hmm. You know, there's no, um, like this isn't a pessimistic book just because it's, filled with pain she's still even talking mm-hmm. now she's not toying with anything optimistic she's just completely in the moment throughout her book and even reflecting on it she's really um like naked in a way that i found really refreshing to, so she's saying she was doubled over crying but she can still talk about it and she's still you know life yeah. is for the living and she's still doing a great job working through her grief
1: yeah. One thing that was really crazy to picture, too, is, I mean, she narrates the audio book, yes. which is beautiful. But like, How? oh, my God, can How you imagine, like, that? not only punched yeah. over crying writing this thing, but like, what could it you have? not You know, like she held it together the entire time. Those things take days to record. I just can't fathom. Mm-hmm. And she
2: does um, just such a great job. Um, so for me, her tone is sad, mournful. And so that I feel like that supported me in my grief as I was reading. Mm -hmm. I was okay with that. I, I wouldn't have asked her to read it any other way. That was the only way to read it.
1: It's interesting to hear you say that because I hadn't really thought of it, but it was really interesting, especially to listen to this interview on K-Pod, because I realized that she has a much broader vocal range than you hear as she's reading it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who is this?
3: So when do we get to Michelle?
1: <laughs> right, because, you know, like she's like, oh, and well, you know, it's like all of a sudden there's like this span of notes that like exactly. you just don't hear when she's and talking about. And she can about, sing, from, like <laughs> I love her, the tone oh, God, of her totally. voice too. Yeah.
3: So, yeah, when you hear Japanese breakfast, it's, she sounds like someone else.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's hear another voicemail. Here's Christine. Hi, Nerdette. I'm going to try to record this voicemail without crying. Oh, my God. I just started this. I was
3: really
4: excited you all picked it. Um, And I think what makes this book so emotional is that a lot of the things she's describing,
1: you can um, really relate to in your relationship.
4: You know, when she said... She grew up as an only child, so her mom was everything. I really related to that because not only was I an only child, but I was with my mom nearly all the time because my parents were divorced. Um,
9: So my question is, did you all find anything
1: in her book that you could really relate to? I just thought it was a great question. and I feel like we've talked about some elements for sure. One that's like super random for me actually is um, a lot of her nostalgia stuff, like about being an angsty teenager. I'm a little older than she. I'm like five years older than she is, but especially the music she talks about, the yeah yeah yeahs are one. But then there's this band, Modest Mouse, too, that I was like deeply obsessed <laughs> with as a sixteen-year-old, and it was just so funny to hear about her, you know tracking down EPs and like finding stuff on Napster and all that. Cause it was like, Oh yeah.
3: And that's a dead totally. culture now. We yeah. For sure. <laughs> and you know, like
1: describing like the mm-hmm. ancient computer that she would look for stuff on and like all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was, I don't know. I just feel like it's because we were close enough in age and I grew up in like kind of a, like the woods also. It was just a really fun. It was like, oh, yeah, for sure, Michelle, I feel
3: you. There's a part where she says her first word was Uma and then her second was Ma. So she was calling to her mom in two languages. Ugh. And I felt that I um, I was an only child. I am an only child. But um even though, you know, I have both of my parents, I was always calling to my mom. And even um, now, you know, I talk to my mom multiple times throughout the day. She's both like my conscience and my sounding board. So I understand that um constantly calling out to someone who is always there for you. Um, and the grief that you must feel when that person is ripped away. I feel like this is a downer. Uh, conversation, <laughs> But I don't mean it to be to have someone in your life um, that you can always call to. And um, like the voicemail said, you know, you're always you're st- by the side of your mom, you're stuck by your mom. Um, that's a wonderful relationship. And it's so unique. So not everyone has it.
1: Right. Well, and I think Michelle, I mean, for speaking of someone who didn't always have it, right, like even for her, her relationship with her mom was so complicated. And the yeah. fact that she wasn't just like, yeah, she was great. It was fine. And then I was sad. You know, like she I think she really beautifully captured the fact that a mother daughter relationship can be ugly and beautiful, you know, mm-hmm. more on crying in H-Mart in just a minute.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
3: So, Greta and Alexis, what do you guys think about how candid she is with other people's business? Like, it's one thing in your memoir to to spill freely all of your tea, but how did you feel when she, um, you know... Pretended to call 911 or was about to call the police, and her mom hopped on her Mm. and said, That's why I um, had an abortion after you because you were (laughs) such a terrible child. (laughs) Now, in that moment, justified. Speaking of drama. (laughs) Years later, oh, harsh, mom. And then to find out it was true, that's a lot. So, how did you feel when she was talking about or her dad's uh, shortcomings as an
1: adult? How did you feel about that?
2: When she mentioned that, I was like, "Oh, oh what? What was she telling
3: all his business?" <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
1: They don't really talk to each other anymore either. Which I mean, doesn't surprise me. I don't know. I guess mm. I always wonder that with something, not even necessarily a memoir, but just something that's written that's very personal. It's like, did you check with them before you put that in there? Know. You know. But do you do you have to? He had her. She didn't have him.
3: You know. Oh. At some point, I think just being a parent, you relinquish some of your privacy forever. Oh. oh Oh, lord how did we get there this book really (laughs) reminded me too that your parents are whole people and maybe you don't like the people that they are Um, that's not necessarily yeah i don't think she likes him as a person i mean he seems like a
1: very complicated person to like you know i mean at least what we get out of him is like yeah, that sounds hard. Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and no that.
3: fault, no fault necessarily on him. He is a product of what his environment was. Oh my gosh, absolutely. You know? yeah. and he's doing the yeah. best he can, no doubt. So uh, that too, I felt was explained really well in her pages. We all have faults and things where we can be proud of and things we might be ashamed of, but we're all doing the best we can and the cards like fall the way they, they do. So maybe her and her dad won't have the closest relationship. Um, And that's kind of okay too.
1: I don't know. I mean, I thought it was interesting because I think in some ways she does that. But I also like was really curious to ask both of you what you thought about, you know, I mean, obviously this is a memoir with the filter of like her relationship with her mother and food. Right. And I thought that was really beautiful and it often made me very hungry. But I also thought there were (laughs) elements of the story that that she kind of glossed over in a way that I found kind of frustrating. Like, I think the big one is her relationship with Peter Who, like, at first is just, like, kind of some dude who, like, isn't very good at being comforting. Like, I think that's, like, one of the first things you learn about him is that he doesn't really know the right thing to say. Wait. Is it? Yeah.
3: Please. Yeah. Speak more about that. How is, how Well, well, so the
1: first time you hear about him is when you know she had a crush on him and they worked at, I think it was an Italian or a Mexican restaurant, together. And she got fired and he got promoted. Mm -hmm. But then the second time he comes up, they're in the car. I think it's after she knows her mom is sick, I'm pretty sure. He might even be driving her to the airport, and she says something about how, like, maybe we should just get married. And he kind of, like, just puts his hand on her hand. And there's a line. I should have looked it up. But it's essentially, like, he often didn't know the right thing to say. And, like, and that's kind of the most description you get of this guy.
2: Oh, come on. But I also <laughs> think about the time when she found out her mother died and she was by herself and her parents specifically reached out to him and so that like, he could be prepared to assist her. So I feel like he was there for her when she found out because he came and she was um in another maybe she was in New York and he ended up coming to New York to support her. Now she doesn't describe that, but I feel like he did um, serve his purpose as far as the parents um, went because he he came and he was there for her and that made her happy. But I do see the parts that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he has to be a good dude because she married him and he goes on all of these adventures with her. And, you know, I'm not saying that necessarily. I just felt like he especially compared to people, characters like her mother or even Kay, like you just get so much more exposure to them as people that I kind of felt like. And there was another scene, too, where there it's the meal, the fancy. I think it's a French meal that they have after the memorial service. And she describes like collapsing on the floor. It's this very intense rot moment. But she just says that she falls into the arms of two of her best friends. Mm. And I, I felt really weird that I didn't know who those people. I mean, they're literally holding her right. at one of her most susceptible moments. And I don't know anything about them. And it, I don't know. It just kind of threw me off a little.
2: I do remember that feeling. I do remember that feeling, though. Right? When she, I was like, wait, who are, where did they come from?
3: Right. Yeah. Memoirs are hard because they're a small slice of the entire pie of your life. For me, yeah. I got enough of Peter. I didn't want it to be like the Peter story. <laughs> That's fair. I, I respect that. <laughs> but but I, I do see what you're saying, too. And I think for guys who are not encouraged to be emotional and to confront um, the uncomfortable parts of grief and, and just life, they they don't always know what to say. So sometimes women yeah. too. I mean I'm sure we've all felt like that from times. But he was there, and even mm-hmm. moving into the parents' house after school, those final days uh, with her mom, I thought that was good. That was encouraging. If he was just a friend and not like the the partner, then I still would have thought he was a good friend. <laughs> just a Peter apologist. Yeah. <laughs> He was jumped,
1: Greta. <laughs> he was jumped. That's he was. Um, <laughs> so did y'all know much about Japanese Breakfast before you read this book?
2: Me, not at all.
3: What about you, Kari? Yeah, my husband's a fan. I know like um, their most popular song, I think, is like Be Sweet. Mm-hmm. And then I I know Till Death because of this book. So that's the um, song she wrote Mm. for Peter, which is probably why I'm defending him because that song is so beautiful to me.
8: (laughs)
1: Do you think reading the book like made you, uh, I don't know, made you hear the music differently? Mm, that's a good question.
3: I'll say no, because uh, the music, like if you think about Japanese Breakfast's first album, it is very much her grieving through the music, but um, she's got this very um, fun pop voice. It's just fun. It's not necessarily about grief anymore. So I, I don't even think about that. But I will mm-hmm. go back and listen okay. to the first album again with this context. I think that'll be an interesting experience for my emotions.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I don't know. It's an interesting album because it's not like a bummer, mm-hmm. you know?
8: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it, it's heavy. like this book. But it's not, like you said, it's
3: not a bummer. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to go back and listen, though.
2: And so I was thinking, I was like, oh, I would like to listen to the music, but both of them are about grief. I'm like, do I really want to listen to the music? Mm. But now hearing you guys say she has a different tone when she's when she's singing and it doesn't sound like it's a grief album. No, she yeah, you'll um,
3: love it. It's like dreamy, um, guitar heavy, poppy. Yeah. It's fun. Japanese breakfast is fun. Yeah, yeah. it is
1: fun. Well, in her newest album, Jubilee, which came out earlier this summer, she talked about this a little bit in that um, interview for on K-Pod. She talked about how a lot of what she wanted to do was really be clear that like even in grief, there is joy, you know, mm, yeah. and like not necessarily even despite grief. Right. But that it's just like big and complicated and joy is still allowed to exist in that space. So, yeah, I don't I think you might like it a lot, Alexis. I'm going to try it out. I definitely am um so before i let y'all go i have a couple more questions um i'm curious since y'all how many books do you each read a year oh my goodness. even carrie <laughs> do you know i mean you're you do a book a week we for a your podcast which as a very tired person who does a book a month i am so <laughs> impressed by that i was
3: so captivated by this book you chose crying in hmart that i read it t- that i read it twice Um, You did not. (laughs) So we split up. Like we're reading. uh, So to answer your question, we read a book a week, and it's too much. It's it's too much.
1: (laughs) Our season ends
3: um, Thanksgiving weekend, and then we start back up the first week in January. Um,
1: So you're reading at least fifty books a year, mm -hmm. at least. Mm -hmm. So uh, one thing I really like to ask at the end of these conversations is if there's something you'd recommend for someone who did read this and enjoy it. um, That's usually a very open-ended idea. Like, I think, especially with a book like this, you could take that in a lot of different directions. Um, It's open-ended, I guess. You just have to explain your rationale. Uh, But what would you recommend, Alexis? What are you thinking?
2: Okay, so I was thinking about um, the mother-daughter relationship and just um, familiar relationships, period. And because of that, I thought of, The Diary of Anne Frank, because she had a a relationship.
1: I
0: know.
2: Wow.
1: (laughs) How how do we make this conversation more depressing, Alexis? (laughs) (laughs)
2: I'm sorry. That one. And if I could share one more, um, the other one was remembering laughter, because that's a family relationship. There's two sisters, and they... um, like, ended up not talking to each other yeah, for I was years. Yeah, the grief of a different
3: kind. I like that.
2: For years. Mm-hmm. But to me, I make the connection because when you have something like that and then you live with the regret afterward. So it's like, mm-hmm. that's stupid. Don't do that.
1: So mm-hmm. that and you're stupid. talking about the book by Wallace Stegner? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That was a library
2: fine for me. And <laughs> I, um, I mean, it was just so great. I really enjoyed that
1: book. So Mm -hmm. that was me. What do you think, Kari?
3: Um, Because of the culinary, the way this book made me just ravenous for food, I would say Mm. soft, acid, heat. Oh, cool. Because she really explains the world through these four elements of cooking really well. Um, So that was a book that made me hungry also in that way. Um, But I thought a lot about Midnight Library
1: Oh interesting. Mm-hmm. But yes, hate.
3: Yeah, yeah, it drives home the point that life is for the living. So whatever you're going through, whatever mm-hmm. you're working through, appreciate every moment. Grief forces mm-hmm. you to be in the moment with someone because you know you don't have them forever. And tomorrow they might be a different person. So appreciate who they are right now. And I think you can turn that in on yourself. Appreciate who mm-hmm. you are right mm-hmm. now. Don't waste time over um, regrets for mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. honestly, remember that your life is yours, but it's not guaranteed tomorrow. So appreciate it. And whatever you did that you hate you did, do something different and move on. Um, so I think Midnight Library is a great pick for that reason.
1: That's a beautiful recommendation. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, it was funny because I was, I usually am listening to one book and reading a different book at the same Ooh, time. Wow, That's like the most my brain can handle. And so as I was listening to Crying in H Mart, I was reading this book called obi is man enough which just came out a couple weeks Mm. ago it's by skylar baylor and it's about uh it's a very different book it's about like it's kind of a teenage coming of age story but what's really fun about it is that it's also about a biracial korean kid in this case his mom is white and his dad is korean um but there are a lot of food memories in it and he's a trans swimmer again it's a completely different story Mm. But it was really fun to, you know, like in in Obi man enough, he makes kimchi with his grandmother. Mm. And and especially that scene was really beautiful because, you know, usually I guess Korean women will only teach their daughters or like female offspring mm. how to spend time in the kitchen. And so Obi is a little weirded out because he's like, oh, does this mean my grandmother still thinks of me as a girl, even though a lot I'm a of boy. cultures, but I she's like that. Mm. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Um, but, yeah, his grandmother says this really beautiful thing to him about how, like, um, essentially, like, you you are welcome here, too. And I also would teach your father and, like, you know, any men are welcome they in this eat. space as well. I don't know. They should know how to Yeah, cook. exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, that sounds cute. I don't know. I just found it to be a really – it was a really heartwarming story. And I think it just paired really nicely with this one, especially given that food played such an important mm-hmm. part but was still just so lovely. I don't know. I liked it a lot. Um, every month we have a completely arbitrary rating system by which we rate the book. Uh, this one was tricky to decide on, but I think we're going to go with soy eggs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> soy eggs. Okay. Which, if you haven't had them before, are delicious. I can't They're wait so to try them. I actually made some just yesterday. They're super tasty. Um, so, <laughs> okay. um... We'll do to 10. So from one to 10, soy.
3: Wait, I'm sorry, Greta. Did you look up any (laughs) reviews of this book? Everyone is so hyperbolic in their reviews. And (laughs) I I was looking at one star reviews and they all say, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm so sorry. Listen, I'm going to give this one star, but I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Wait. So they're hyperbolic in their negative reviews. There aren't many negative reviews. reviews. They're all five mm. star because it feels like you're rating how someone describes their mother's final days. That's a fair point. And who that's gives you fair, the right? So you're
1: saying we shouldn't do a rating system at all? <laughs> I mean, that's a very good point, Tari. You're making me second guess myself no, very intensely. Uh, okay. Well, let's do. Okay. Instead of that. Instead of that, we're pivoting. What about? What is the meal described in Crying in H Mart that you are most excited to maybe try making yourself or at least, like, go eat somewhere as soon as possible? How's that?
3: I'm going to rate it.
1: It could be soy eggs.
2: <laughs> no. Oh, no, no. Let's do that When I love it. I love okay, it. Alexis, go. I'm going to start with. The tomato juice, because it's the oh, easiest, yeah. okay? okay? I'm going to start with the tomato juice. Okay. And then I will graduate to the soy eggs, okay? Mm, okay. And then we'll go and use um, anything after that that has to do with rice. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I've inserted my answer, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and kimchi. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I feel stable. like that's a process, but I, I think I'm ready to take
1: that dive. Okay, Kari, since you don't want to rate this book.
3: <laughs> I'm
2: going to top out
1: fair. with
3: kimchi, too, because she made mm-hmm. everything sound as if, yeah, I could do it. If, if she learned to do it off of a video, maybe I can do it, too. So I'm
1: going to try um, kimchi first. I really love bulgogi which is like thinly sliced marinated beef it's in um bibimbap a lot of the time oh it's come on just delicious
3: i changed my answer yeah i mean <laughs>
1: i personally like it more than kimchi mm-hmm. but i mean oh you know, really I eating them together maybe oh totally yeah you could eat it with some rice call it a day i oh, love it mm-hmm. throw a soy egg on there good to go <laughs> i'm gonna get into that egg mm-hmm. like first things first I mean, the eggs are delicious and easy. And like, there is nothing better than a soft boiled egg, I believe.
2: That's true. I believe other people don't, but I believe. <laughs> yeah, she, she really loves
3: eggs. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you too. this was such a pleasure, even though it was also really intense. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks for having us. Thank you for letting us in your home. (laughs) Next time, let's do something like really just like sexy and fun (laughs) and stupid. Please.
2: That that would be great. (laughs) That would be great.
1: All right. That's it for this month's book club. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, extra bonus thanks to Katie, Nicole, Liz, Susie, Rachel, Sam, Catherine, Juliana, and Christine for chiming in with voicemails. As always, it is such a pleasure to hear from you. And I really appreciate especially this one with some of the things y'all shared you are just the best. And of course, thanks to Kari and Alexis from Lit Society Pod. Next month's book is, should we do a drum roll? We never do a drum roll. It is Rika Aoki's Light from Uncommon Stars. Stay tuned next week for a spoiler-free chat with the author and then come back for the discussion on the last Tuesday in September. And hey, do you have opinions about Book Club or regular Nerdette episodes in general? Well, now is your time to shine. We have a survey going on. We're trying to hear from as many Nerdette listeners as possible. We actually have a cool thing where if you fill out the survey, you can opt in to a drawing to maybe win a $50 gift card, which you could use to buy books, which is pretty exciting. It's super quick and easy, and it really is super helpful to us if you would do it. The URL for that is wbeasy.org slash nerdette survey. Thank you so much for doing that. The show is produced by me and Hannah Edgar and Anna Bauman, and our executive producer is Brendan Bandenbeck. We will see you next week.
0: Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO Original Limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer, Sundays, exclusively on Macs, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.